If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And guess what? It's free. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Our stories are what make us unique, but they're also what connect us as human beings. It's time to stop talking and start listening. This is You Talk, I'll Listen with Shannon Chapman. One of my worst nightmares is one of my children getting gravely ill. My guest, Tim, host of the Focused on Forward podcast, has actually lived that experience. Tim's daughter was diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is super rare, and it's when your body's immune system starts attacking your nerves. So it may start with a tingle or muscle weakness, but it can affect a person's ability to walk, chew, swallow, see, control their bladder, and it can even cause paralysis. Tim, I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story with us. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm always happy to, to talk, help raise a little awareness uh, for Ken Bray. What was your daughter, Kendall, like as a baby or a young child? So it's, it's always been kind of funny. We've always told Kendall that she's afraid of silence. <laughs> she's very talkative. She's very outgoing. She's very much uh, a people person. That's kind of changed a little bit as she's gotten older. But as a young person, she was always very outgoing, very much a daddy's girl, very much the princess. You know, she wanted to do fashion shows and she wanted to do uh, everybody's, you know, makeup and fingernails and give people makeovers and, you know, uh, all those kind of things. So having her around, it was meant that you probably were going to be watching something princessy, you know, something Disney. And you were also probably going to have uh, the question a million times if she could do your fingernails. Um, I always said no, but, you know, I did let her dress me up every now and then. (laughs) That's what dads do. We try. When did you start noticing things that were out of the ordinary were happening to your daughter? Well, see, that's the thing. We didn't. Because here's the thing. Kendall's condition was caused by a viral infection. And so we didn't know that it was Guillain-Barre. We didn't know that it was something more than we thought it was the flu, to be honest with you. When everything first started, we live in Michigan and this was, this came on and onset was in the spring. As a matter of fact, her first day in the hospital was April 1st. Talk about a bad April Fool's joke. But we thought that this condition or this issue that was, she was experiencing had to do with the change of seasonal weather. You know, uh, it's not uncommon in in springtime in Michigan when you're coming out of winter into spring, the change of, you know, really cold to Michigan, not being sure if it wants to snow one day or be sunny the next or, you know, what it's doing until probably about mid-April. So 
it's not uncommon to have a runny nose or a stuffy nose, a little bit of a cough, a scratchy throat, you know, things along those lines. And so these are some of the things that she was complaining about, you know, and telling us, hey, I don't feel good. This is, you know, she was 12 when this all started to happen. And so two things that happened. Number one, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Guillain-Barre can start causing some pain or, or tingling in the legs or extremities. So she was complaining about that. But she was also going through a growth spurt at the time. And my wife is five foot eight. I'm six foot three. My sons are between six foot three and six foot five. We're we're not short people in my in my house. Okay. And so she was going through a growth spurt. And so between the two things, I you know, we just kept telling her, hey, we'll we'll put give you some medicine, here's some pain pills. Um, you know, basically we just gotta kinda push through this. And I kept telling her, like, you gotta remember, mama just had to go take you by all new clothes because you outgrew all your other clothes, you know? And so you're growing through growth spurts. This is this is normal, honey. You're gonna have some leg pain. Because I told her, you know, especially when I was about her age, I went through a ridiculous growth spurt. Spring to fall, I went from like five foot four to six foot, you know. I shot up like a weed overnight and my legs were always hurting. And so I was trying to explain it to her that, you know, hey, maybe it's just that, you know, let's not make a big deal about this. And the thing is, we didn't realize what it was. And the way that we began to notice that something was definitely wrong, we had gone across state to visit my in-laws. So we live on the west side of Michigan over by Lake Michigan. My in-laws live on the east side of the state over in the Flint area. And so we went over to visit and she had gone from complaining about her legs being sore to not wanting to put pressure on her legs, not wanting to stand. She uh, didn't want to eat or drink anything because it was just her throat was hurting and she was having some trouble swallowing. So that was disconcerting. So we decided and talking with my mother-in-law, who happened to be a nurse for 25 years. She was a charge nurse on, uh, at the hospital she worked at on her floor. And my mother-in-law said, I'm not sure what this is, Tim. She says, but it's, it's not the flu. I don't think it's the flu. She says, I think we need to get her to the doctor. I, went, I said, yeah, I think you're right. So uh, there's a local hospital there where my in-laws live, but I didn't take her there because they don't have an A. It's not a pediatric hospital. And the number three pediatric hospital in the nation was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, DeVos Children's Hospital. So as far as I was concerned, there was no reason to not drive the hour. It, it was 10 minutes across town for them to tell us that, hey, you got to take her to the children's hospital. Or driver the hour and 10 minutes to the children's hospital. Because we thought, you know, hey, we'll take her there. I was still kind of holding off in the back of my mind that maybe this was still just the flu. You know, and then we're talking, I'm like, yeah, we're going to go there. Well, you know, maybe she just needs an IV. We'll get her some fluids, you know, get her topped off type of thing. And we'll take her home and we'll, we'll get her ready. And that wasn't the case. That's what, you know, that's when we decided that something else was going on and that, that, you know, that it had to be something else. Because once my mother-in-law was kind of unsure and unsettled about it, it made my wife and I kind of unsure and unsettled about it. And, and. You know, all we knew to do at that point was, well, it's time to go to the hospital. Did the doctors know right away what was wrong? No. No, in, in fact, um, the doc, all the doctors would, told us right away is that it wasn't the flu. And so it was a younger doctor. And I, and I, I still kind of think that it was his first go around in, in an ER shift because uh, we got there. And. He said to us, he goes, I don't know what it is. He goes, but we'll, you know, we'll figure it out. And I went, okay, logical, makes sense. So they started running all these battery of tests on her. You know, they, 
they poked her several different times, get this amount of blood, get that amount of blood, go test this, go test that. And he came back in and he said, well, we're still unsure of what it is, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say we can take MS off the table. And that's when like my, I, I'm pretty sure my eyelids exploded up off my face because I, you know, I got the big dinner plate eyes looking at him going, excuse me, what? I was like, we brought her here for the flu. I, I was still holding on to that, you know, that when did, when did MS make it onto the table? And he's like, well, you know, we have to figure out what all's going on. And he says, it's clearly a viral infection, but we don't know what yet. He goes, I'm running a few more tests. He says, I have an idea of what I think it might be now. And he says, but I'm waiting for confirmation from another doctor. Uh, and like I said, I think he was a younger doctor and he didn't want to make the call on his own in case he was wrong. But he came back about 15 minutes later and he said, yep, he says, my uh, suspicions were confirmed. It's uh, she has a condition called Guillain-Barre syndrome. And just a, a, for those of you playing the home version of this game, uh, if, if a doctor tells you that your child has a disease or something that you've never heard of. Under no circumstances should you ever sit down with your phone or your iPad and start Googling that. That is the worst decision that I think my wife and I both made. And within about five minutes, we both went, we have to stop. And it's not that you you can't read those things and you can't you know decipher some of these things on your own. But there's some very large uh, words and language being used in these descriptions, even by WebMD and these other places, trying to understand what's going on. And then you start reading all what the possible side effects might, could, and sort of might be. And it scares the living pants off of you. So. Um, talk with your doctor about it, talk with your medical care professional about it, but yeah, don't Google it. Yeah. that's the first thing I would do. <laughs> and then I would freak out. It, it's logical though. It's logical though. I mean, because, you know, we have these, these great little machines in our pockets that we want to use to, to help us out. And, and it's the first thing that you do. Oh, well, I, I, you know, when somebody's you, somebody else starts talking about something they're going through. You know, every time somebody mentions a disease, even though it's not one that I'm suffering from or my family's suffering from, what's the first thing I do? Oh, well, let's see what Google says about it. it it's it's natural. It's going to happen. So you're doing your research. What was going through your mind? Well, <laughs> there there was a, a great many things going through my mind because now we were trying to figure out how she got a viral infection. Where did she, you know where did she get this from? You know, one of the things that we thought of first off, and we and the doctor even asked us about, we were trying to figure out was had she had any recent vaccinations, because it is possible to have a a negative reaction to a vaccination, and and Guillain Barre can be a result from that. Uh, but this was in 2019. This is pre COVID, so that wasn't that that wasn't part of what caused this or anything along those lines. And it, it wasn't from that at all. Her most recent vaccination, I think, had been it was like four months previous four or five months previous. So really, and if you're going to have a result uh, reaction to a vaccination, it's going to be pretty close to the vaccination date itself. I don't remember the, the specific number of hours the doctor told us that it had to be or, or a week or something along those lines. But the, the amount of time that we had had was not the, the amount of time that it, you know, it was clearly taken off the table. It wasn't from that. So we're still not sure what exactly caused it. And that was one of the biggest things to me was in my own mind, I like to think of myself as a fixer, as a solver. You know, this was one of those things, though, that I, I couldn't figure out how to fix. I couldn't figure out how to solve the riddle of how did my daughter get sick? 
And instantly, as, as a father, as a parent, you start thinking, okay, what did I do wrong? What did I miss? What, what could I have done differently so that we aren't here? Because we got admitted that night. We went straight from the ER straight to, to the, I think it was the 11th floor of, of the hospital and got a brand new room. And originally being told that you're going to be there, we were told we were going to be there for two weeks. And in that whole time, you're thinking, well, okay, we're going to put our life on hold for a little bit. I can do this. We can do this. We're going to, we're going to just soldier down. We're going to, we're going to, you know, hunker down. We're going to do what we got to do. Still, even at that, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a weird position to be in as a parent, because not only do you not know how your child got sick, but now you're in a place where you can't control anything. You know, as a parent, you know, you get used to, you know, you're going to do this for your child. You're going to do that for your child. You're going to help your child this way and that way. And when you're in the hospital, it's not that your rights as a parent are taken away from you. That's not what the doctors are doing. That's not what the nurses are doing. But at the same time, they're doing things that you can't do. They're doing things that you don't know how to do. and Mentally and emotionally, it's kind of trying because you are kind of in the background going, yeah, looks good. All right. Yeah, you guys should do that. Okay, thanks. And that's all you can do. You're relegated to the role of cheerleader. And that's that's that was one of the bigger things for me a bit. So you may have said this, but how long was her hospital stay? Overall, we were told originally it was only going to be two weeks and then things took a drastic turn. And we ended up being in the hospital for 97 days overall. 33 of those were in the ICU. She was paralyzed from the neck down. She was on breathing support. Uh, she had a feeding tube. She had to have a process called plasmapheresis, where they tap directly into the jugular in her neck to clean the plasma to, to help reset the antibodies to, to help the body start fighting against Guillain-Barre syndrome. Uh, she had to have IVIG, which is an intravenous antibody treatment, a couple different times. And yeah, she had to have an emergency uh, lung surgery during that time. So there was three separate trips to the ICU. We would spend about a week to 10 days in the ICU each time. And uh, so, but yeah, all together, uh, 97 days. And during that 97 days, my wife was there for all 97. I was there for 95. I went home for two nights, and each time that I went home, she ended up back in the in the ICU the next morning. And so after the second time, I said, I'm never leaving the hospital again until she comes home. It has to be hard to see your baby like that. It's, you know, uh, life has not been all rainbows and cupcakes for us, but that is easily the toughest thing that I've ever had to do in my life. You know, because as a parent, there's nothing you won't do for your child. You know, if if you can, if it, if it's at all possible, you want to move heavens, mountains, you'll do anything to help your child to, you know, give your child something that, you know, that you want that that they want. If it is at all possible for you to give them to it because you love your child, you want to take care of them, you want to protect them. And there was no way for me to do any of that for 97 days. Like I said, I was relegated to being a cheerleader. Which I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that I still had that opportunity. You know, I was there to be a safety and security blanket when, when things were going on. You know, my daughter would reach out and hold my hand. And yeah, it was, it was tough. You know, because there, there's, 
there's so many things that you want to do and there's so many things that you you wish that you can do but you you just can't and that that is i can't even really put it into words the 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 depth of loss that you feel at at being a parent and and not being able to do these things it's you know i try to explain it and i try to to quantify it uh you know because i've I've told the story a couple different times and i've talked to different people about it a couple different times and you try to quantify it but it's really not something that you can say i felt this way about it all i could do is tell you that i've never experienced hurt like this emotionally before you know and i've gone through some things in my life but i haven't experienced that before in my life what led to her being able to be released from the hospital and how did life change for you guys well it was there was a, a couple of different things there was some some uh plateaus that she had to be able to hit okay so the hospital set her these marks that you know in order for her to go home they wanted her to be off of breathing support she want they wanted her to be able to be off of the feeding tube and that's all something that had to come with time you know once we started going through the plasmapheresis and the ivig and the body started rebuilding these nerve ending connections and things like that so that the, the body could you know control itself again she had to you know be able to do those things you know and that was one of the reasons you know one of the things that took so long is that she had to have an emergency surgery for her, her lungs she had to have one of her lungs had to be punctured and drained, and we ended up uh, removing about a, a liter of fluid from her lungs. And through all, all of this, with everything that happened, she's down to about one and a quarter functioning lungs now. There, there was all these things that had to happen with about her breathing and her oxygen levels. It wasn't a requirement for her to be walking for to be able to go home, but that was her own personal goal. She, you know, when she went home, she wanted to be walking again. She wanted to be able to hold a, an ink pen again or a spoon or a fork on her own without having us feed it to her and you know because you know what 12 year old wants to be fed by their parents you know uh and i get that because she's an extremely independent young lady and fiercely fiercely independent um which i apologize to her my wife routinely for because she takes after her father far too much so yeah so that was that was the part of the process we had all these little different plateaus that we had to hit and then as it started to look like we were making our way towards hitting those plateaus, so then our, our, our uh, rehabilitative doctor, who's a godsend for all of this, really, he started putting it out there that, okay, well, I want you to be able to walk this far without your walker. I want you to be able to walk this far, you know, without, you know. And then it was, okay, she hit that mark. He kept putting it out there farther and far. He kept pushing her and pushing her, which is good because she responded well to that. She responded well to being challenged and, and having a new goal to reach and, and doing all these things. That took, from the time that we left the ICU for the last time to uh, leaving in early July of 2019, I want to say it was a span of just under 30, 35 days, somewhere in there. And we were able to uh, get her home eventually. So we went from we were in the hospital from early April to to just uh, just before mid July, and she was able to come home. And you know the biggest the biggest challenge to coming home though was you know in the hospital it was a rehabilitative hospital at the end there, and so every morning there was a TV up on the wall, 
and there was our schedule for the day. At nine o'clock, we're going to do this. At ten o'clock, she's doing this. At eleven o'clock, she's doing this. You know, and then there was lunch break, and then there was afternoon therapies, and all these different things. But the odd part about it was that when we came home, you know, it was like, okay, we we know that we need to eat breakfast sometime. We know that we should be doing therapy at some point because there were still therapies that she had to do for you know exercises and things like that. And we had in-home therapy for her for a while, but it was it was almost surreal coming home because we weren't sure, you know, what our actual roles were as parents. You know, what my, both my wife and I, we, we were both, you know, kind of lost for the first little bit because we kept waiting for, you know, every time, and honestly, every time she would even clear her throat, there was, oh, are you okay? Is everything okay? Because you're on this heightened sense of alert for everything that went on. If she exhaled too deeply if she and i'm sure we drove her nuts i am positive that we drove her absolutely nuts there's no way that we couldn't have but every little noise that she would make are you okay is everything all right what's going on what's 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 the matter and we were like that for a while i think we have it you know we're not so much like that anymore but not on everything anyway but but yeah yeah that was probably the biggest issue with coming home was just getting used to being just our family again, you know, and trying not to focus on the medical issues, but still knowing that they were there and having to deal with them. Has your daughter fully recovered? No. And she, honestly, she never will. Um, the doctor said that she's about 85% recovered and that's kind of the, the, um, the plateau that she's hit. And he doesn't see that he doesn't think that, that she'll ever be able really to to progress past that. You know, there so there's she still has some severe pain in her legs and um in other joints. She has to get shots in her knees and her hips, cortisone shots, to help with the pain about once every three months. And those injections put her down for a couple days before she kind of comes back around for things. But that's, you know, Guillain-Barre is something that she'll have for the rest of her life. It's it's an autoimmune issue that never goes away. She's not immunosuppressed, but she is autoimmune. So there is a difference between the two, and it took me too long to, to figure out that. Yeah, so she'll, ha- she'll have this for the rest of her life. And as he put it, uh, as long as we weren't planning on her being a uh, a long-distance runner in the Olympics, he think, you know, we're all set. As time passes, and you kind of mentioned this a little bit, does the situation get any easier for a parent mentally? Yes and no. And I'll start with the no, because no matter what, you're, it's still your child. There's still that memory. And no matter how many years ago it was, it's still fresh in your mind. And so as much as we try to control it, there's still going to be when she's sore, she's tired. Then let's wait for a while, but when she's tired, uh, she has basically almost a full body twitch, a full body convulsion. When, you know, when she gets tired and she's starting to get to sleep, you'll see her whole body kind of shake. Elbows and shoulders will, will shrug and, and other things. So there's always constant reminders. And those, little, those things always just kind of, you know, they're always back there in the back of your mind that this could come back. There's always a possibility of Guillain-Barre attacking the body again. And so you always kind of live underneath that cloud. And so that, that does weigh on you mentally, emotionally as well. But it does get better if you go seek help. If anyone who's listening has had a child who's gone through long hospital stays and extreme medical conditions, if you haven't gone and talked with a counselor yet, please take the time to go do so. I can't tell you how important it was for me 
when we got home, I usually saying my head was a bag of cats. It was just, I was a mess because like I said, there was all these things that had weighed on me mentally and emotionally. I felt, you know, all these feelings of not being able to provide for your child and take care of your child. And then those, those all hit you as a parent, but also as, as a father, I felt like I had failed my child in a lot of different ways. And, you know, there's other things that happened while we were in the hospital that, you know, as, as my counselor had to help us understand and other people had to help us understand, that's a traumatic event. Even though you're not the one in the hospital bed, as a parent, you're experiencing emotional trauma. And dealing with that is so vitally important. You can't start to move forward until you've dealt with that. And, and so that's the yes portion. It is possible uh, to move forward with this, but you have to take the proper steps and taking care of yourself because I'm not, I'm not any good as a husband. I'm not any good as a father. If I'm not taking care of myself mentally and emotionally, I don't, I can't give to somebody if the tank is empty, if I've got nothing to give, what am I giving them? So I have to take care of those things first. And so with help, I went through counseling. She used something called cognitive behavioral therapy. We, we went through some of these things, and I found that this was extremely helpful for me, uh, even though some of the things that we talked about, it seemed silly to me at, at first, but I found that, that some of the, the, the therapy lessons and things I still use now. I'm not currently in therapy at the moment, but I haven't closed that door. There might be time where I need to go back and get a refresher and get some help uh, for other things. So. No, if you know, it's always going to be there, but yes, if you if you approach it the right way. What's life look like for your family today? We try to make it as normal as possible. Unfortunately, uh, with 2020 came COVID, and we were not sure. We, you know, we had just gone through one calamitous hospitalization event, and we were not eager to go through a second. So when when COVID hit, we shut down. We locked down. And, uh, you know, we limited the number of people who could come in or out of the house, what was happening, you know, so we, we've tried, you know, we've tried to make, take all the right steps since then. We've, we've learned the difference between immunosuppressed and autoimmune. We had to, you know, to understand that, uh, where the actual dangers lied for my daughter. And so now it's, we're, we're trying to get back to as much normality as possible. Kendall is, went back, she's a freshman in high school this year. She went back to public school for the first time in two years, and uh, right now she's on a hybrid schedule. So that she she does online school in the morning because she has she has a really tough time in the mornings getting up, getting moving, you know, getting her as she likes to say, uh, making her legs work, you know, and, and that all takes time. And so uh, we bring her to school at about eleven thirty every morning, and then she she goes to school for the afternoon. So um, my wife is finally going back to work. Uh, she works for one of the local universities who were absolutely amazing. Shout out to Ferris State University. Go Bulldogs. They were beautiful. You know, when everything started to happen, her boss was like, don't even worry about work. Just go take care of your family. And that was huge. Fortunately, I'm I'm self-employed. Uh, so my boss was really cool about letting me have time off. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't a bad, such a big deal. <laughs> but we, we try, you know, we, we were trying to get back to, to normal things. My My oldest son got married right before covid hit so my my middle son is starting college my my youngest child kendall is starting high school this year uh, my wife shana went back to work uh you know i'm back you know doing what all the stuff that i was doing beforehand 
the only difference is, is that we just do it a little slower to accommodate Kendall's needs. It's a tough situation to deal with on a daily basis. Could you say that there are any positives that came from your experience? So there's been a couple of positives. So, but one of my biggest things, and I say this a lot on the show that I host called Focused on Forward, is actually that saying. Now, when I was in my 30s, I had a heart issue. And in the meantime, I'm trying to handle that. There's a there's a window there between, you know, diagnosis of the heart issue to getting it resolved. Uh, You know, you sit there kind of just waiting. And there's not much you can do about it. So my wife and I always said that we were going to be focused on forward. We're going to focus on moving forward. That's all we can do. So when it came time for Kendall to be in the hospital, we often talked about finding the silver lining and being focused on forward. So when she came out of the hospital, I started my show. And when it came time to name it, that was like the no brainer. You know, it's going to be focused on forward. So a couple of the positives are is that we, we did find the silver lining for ourselves. We took the time to acknowledge the fact that even though we were going through this craptastic situation and, you know, it was, there was on the surface, you could look at it and say there was nothing good that was going to come out of this and there was nothing beneficial that was going to come out of this. We learned the strength of our family and friends. We learned who was going to be there for us when we needed them. Our family was amazing. Both sides, my wife's family, my family, they were there for us. You know, my parents were always there. Her parents were always there. Aunts and uncles and, and everything. My brother's a musician from the Detroit area. He made her a, a song. You know, we made a music video out of it uh, so that she could have something to listen to, to try and encourage her and, and all these things. And we had people, like friends of friends, stopping by the hospital saying, hey, we didn't, you know, I know you don't know us, but we're friends with so-and-so. They told us about it, and we just wanted to bring your daughter something. And so learning community, learning your family, and, and learning who you're, about your friends, and it, that was a beautiful thing. Of all the things that my daughter remembers, which is not a lot, and I'm still very thankful that her memory of some of the events of that 97 days is, is hazy, and she doesn't remember some of it. But one of the things that she does remember is the way that her room was decorated with all the cards that she, w- she was sent and the constant visitors that we had in the room. And, you know, the, the fact that she remembers, you know, who came to the room and she remembers being, you know, her friends being there and she remembers family being there. So that was, that was a big deal. Uh, the other positive I, I find was actually my show. The th- reason why it's a positive for me is that it, it was positive because it allowed me to have other people on the show who had overcome other challenges in their life and hearing their stories and what, you know, what they had done and what they, how they were moving forward. So here I was going through counseling and therapy, trying to move myself forward. Still at this point, I had started this show and I found myself that as I had guests on the show, I'm sitting there with a pen and paper and I'm like, oh, that's a really good idea. And I'm writing down, oh, I'm going to try that later. And I've told people it was the cheapest therapy I've ever had, but it was probably some of the most beneficial therapy. It was very, very cathartic for me to go through that and and, and deal with that. Um, and then, you know, too, my daughter would help me. It would listen uh, as I was editing the audio for the for the podcast, and she would hear some of their stories. And so she got to hear some of these other people and these great inspirational people and all the things that they had done. And so it was really very good that way. There was a couple pluses there for us. What would you say to a parent whose child has just been diagnosed with an illness like Guillain-Barre? <laughs> Don't Google it. 
Oh, good God, don't Google it. Yeah, fight the urge for that, honestly. I, I say it kind of jokingly, but in all honesty, make sure you're getting your information from reputable sources. Because don't if you are going to Google it, don't do it in the first few minutes when you're you know at a heightened sense of of alert and and your your mind is because at that point the only thing you're going to see is the negatives. Your mind is going to rush right to those things. But make sure that you're getting your your information from valid sources and and that you're taking the time to analyze it so that you can use that information properly in a, in a good way. And at the same time, as much as it hurts to see your child in that situation, uh, in, especially in a, a lengthy hospital stay, make sure that you're there. Make sure that you're present. Make sure that they know that you're there, especially if they're coming in and out of you know stages of consciousness. During the times when they are, are there, they're with it, make sure that you're there. It's going to matter later in life that they know who is there to help them and who is there to support them. Tim, amazing story. Thank you for sharing with us. And those of you who are listening, check out Tim's podcast, Focused on Forward. Tim, if someone wants to get in touch with you, how can they reach you? Uh, probably the best way to do it, you can either uh, reach out to me through Twitter at, uh, at podcastfof, or you can email me, focusedonforward at gmail.com. Those are probably the best ways. And of course, we're on Facebook and Instagram and, you know, I'm sure there's other social pages we're probably out there on too. But, but yeah, those are the big ones. We're all, we're out on those and those, you can get a hold of me on any one of those. If you just need someone to listen, uh, I'm willing to listen. If you need somebody to talk to, I can be that person. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for having me. This has been, a, this has been fun. You're listening to You Talk, I'll Listen, hosted by Shannon Chapman. I listened, and here's what I heard. It's time for the mic drop, y'all. As a parent myself, I can understand the emotional roller coaster Tim and his wife have been on with their daughter, who was going in and out of consciousness in ICU. It's extremely difficult to watch your child suffer or struggle and not be able to do anything about it. I applaud him for recognizing that he needed counseling because he has experienced trauma. I hope that I can always say that I can only imagine how it feels to see your child in that condition. After going through that, it's understandable why he and his wife would panic a little at the slightest discomfort their daughter experiences. I think that if I was in Tim's shoes, I may have also experienced a little guilt that I would have to deal with in the beginning for not recognizing the seriousness of her symptoms. I also applaud Tim for focusing on forward, as he says. That's a hard thing to do when you're going through something like that. I believe that everything happens for a reason, and though we might not like it or understand it, we have to be able to adjust to a new normal. That's what Tim's family's doing. He has found further healing in doing his podcast and talking to people who are also making the best of tough situations. Many times when we're suffering, we feel alone. But when we're brave enough to share our pain and struggles with others, 
It helps us to connect and to realize that there are others experiencing the exact same pain. The story might not be a carbon copy of yours, but human connection can truly be powerful. There's one episode left in season two. Thank you to all my listeners for the support and encouragement that you continue to give me. I love doing this podcast and hearing these powerful stories. And your support keeps me encouraged knowing that you guys do too. If you haven't done it already, please give a review on whatever platform you're listening. It may help others find us and help to grow the Talk fam. On the season finale, you'll be hearing from a familiar voice from the 90s. I still hear her music on the radio or playing in a store sometimes. Full episodes drop every other week, so tune in on October 18th to find out who it is and hear her story. Hope to see you on Facebook, IG, or Twitter. Grace and blessings. Blessings.